Hi, Carla. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Of course. I'm so happy to chat with you today. <laughs> Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Yes. So I grew up in LA. It's where I am right now. And I grew up in a very Salvadoran home. So that meant a lot of yeah, a lot of the Salvadoran staples, uh, a lot of frijoles, a lot of rice, a lot of tortillas, um, the occasional carne, carne asada over the weekend. Um, yeah, the because we were new immigrants in this country, the food was really what told me we were from El Salvador um, because we didn't have things that I saw other Latino families had, you know, around in LA. There wasn't tacos at the party. It was pupusas, it was tamales de pollo. Um, so that's definitely, yeah, it was a very salvi saturated food uh, upbringing. <laughs> and so what led you to working in food and, and founding Salvi Soul? There were a few things that led me to this work that I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I can summarize them by pointing three reasons. Because it was, I mean, the fact that my family are just storytellers. And this was, you know, we carried our histories through story time, right? So mm -hmm. I think wanting to do food storytelling just became uh, part of just the legacy that my family has you know when we would sit at the table when we would have dinner time it was just automatic you know we were going to know we were going to find out more about where we came from and our histories um, so apart from that a huge reason that led me to Salvi Soul and to you know starting this work was because I had a very personal experience with my health I became um, a person who had to deal with a chronic illness. I am a type one diabetic. And in my early 20s, when I was diagnosed, you know, there were a lot of, you know, doctors who had good intentions. And a lot of what they said to me were, you know, diabetes has everything to do with food. And, you know, you're Latina and Latinos eat very poorly. So we would advise you not to eat XYZ. And you know, as I mentioned, my upbringing, you know, food was what told me we were from somewhere else. So when I got to experience my culture, it was at the table. And so hearing this kind of recommendation from several doctors and nurses, and it just broke my heart. And I felt like I had to make a decision of, do I cater my diet to my health or do I try to figure out if they're if they maybe don't know the whole truth and that's really what got me into food justice advocacy and before I did food writing I was managing farmers markets I was working in low-income areas here in LA um, doing cooking classes free cooking classes where we would talk about all the things you could do with all the you know the the harvest from the farmers um, and so that definitely informed my work. And as I started to research different cookbooks and really just getting obsessed with the food world and, you know, becoming familiar with 
all the work farmers do to give us options at the farmer's market, I started to look for Salvadoran cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by this point, I had, you know, I had been going to cooking school, doing a cooking program here in LA. And the, um, the results that I found when I started researching um, Salvi cookbooks, I found two. I found two books and I just thought like, oh my gosh, this, this is absurd. Like <laughs> we, there's millions of us here internationally. Like we have had to adapt a um, transnational identity because so many of us have had to leave El Salvador. Right. And, you know, it, it just felt completely absurd that there wasn't a library or that the library we had of cookbooks were so limited and also that the two books available were not um they weren't these like books from 50 years ago or anything they were recent within mm-hmm. and yet I think when I found the first uh English cookbook it was 2015 and that book had been published in 2013 so mm-hmm. it was relatively new and I you know I I longed to know more I longed just to understand where you know what foods did my family have for you know fest for the days of festivals what foods did they have for lazy Sundays you know Mm -hmm. food was really a way for me to understand where I came from and it was a way for me to know in in that, you know, passports were not there. I, for a moment in my life here in the U.S., I was undocumented. So when documentation can't tell you where you're from, when the language on both ends is a struggle, um, food was the thing that didn't ask me to be anyway. I just knew we're from El Salvador because we eat platanos, frijoles, queso duro, y pan francés, you know? Mm-hmm. So those were, those were the the yeah I guess the veins of the work that eventually led me to say what if I started a project and I interviewed my grandmother and asked her for my favorite dish and you know there was a really incredible moment in working with my grandmother and she's definitely the co-creator of Salvi Soul because without me saying too much about it. I didn't have a name. I didn't have, I didn't have much, but just like a question of curiosity. And I pitched it to her and she said, oh, sí, Carla, esto se trata del legado de la mujer salvadoreña. Mm-hmm. Like, Carla, this is about, you know, the legacy of the Salvadoran woman. Like, you're going to interview women. They're going to tell you stories. And we're going to get these recipes documented that no one has really bothered to look there. So this, that, and that was it. That was the moment um, that really, yeah, was the beginning of, of so many things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Patricia Escarcega wrote about you for the LA Times last year, she wrote about your desire to, to write a Salvadoran cookbook. And, you know, she specifically mentioned that what you were just saying, that the cuisine of El Salvador is kept alive by women. Can you tell me more about the significance of women in Salvadoran cooking? Absolutely. Um, my goodness. 
So much of what we know as a diaspora is because of women in the kitchen mm -hmm. and women feeding their families. Uh, so many, uh, there's, there's, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit in with immigrants where I can't be hired. I don't have documentation. I don't know anyone here, but I know how to make some bomb tamales. I can make 150 of them and sell them on a corner and people who are hungry will come and try it. You know, mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of, of um, when I started this project, there was a lot of wanting to give credit where credit has been passed due. Mm -hmm. um, we have so many enclaves of Salvadorans in this country and a lot of these enclaves really surround, um, you know, little mercaditos, little restaurants who have been serving um, these foods. And it's because of their diligence. And I think cooking, especially within a Latino, Latinx context, for women, I think it's a very complex issue because, mm -hmm. of course, we have been forced in the kitchen. Um, I definitely had a lot of that push and pull feeling of like, I don't wanna work in the kitchen because that's what has been, it's like a good girl, a good girl will wanna mm -hmm. work in the kitchen. And I didn't want that. However, this is a, this work taught me a lot of nuance that we haven't been able to really sit with as a community. And I speak for, you know, Salvadoran community that I've interacted with, I definitely don't speak for uh, the whole of our community, but with the experiences I've had, um, so many folks will say to me, like, Carla, like, I, I don't know where else I can feel like I belong to El Salvador or that I belong to this culture if it weren't for the home-cooked meals that my mom makes me or that my mm -hmm. grandmother makes me. And the tension I have with that is that it then becomes this like granny practice, right? right. And, you know, I've, I've had moments where people would say like, oh, if I miss, you know, I don't, I don't need to bother to learn a recipe because I can just go home and, you know, eat it there. And mm -hmm. I'm, I always have to stop myself from reacting in honestly, because mm -hmm. um, I want to say, you know, it's, it's up to us. It's it's up to us to practice. Any any culture that's alive is practiced. It's participated in, and you can't lament not being able to have access to it or for it to be a part of your life when you're kind of assigning it to a generation that's you know the older generation. Um, it's an unfair ask to then put the whole weight of preserving culture on a trip on a generation that's done the work, you know. So absolutely, there's a huge significance, and especially because a lot of the history in El Salvador, um, there's been a lot of violence towards women, and my project is a place to highlight. Salvadoran women and yes to highlight their sazon to highlight you know the vibrancy they have for life but also to say like you know this is this is their place this is a place that's dedicated to them um 
They are amazing individuals. They have incredible stories. I will introduce you to them and give you a snippet <laughs> of who they are. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it, they are, Salvi Soul is very much Salvi woman obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned before knowing you were Salvadoran by virtue of what you were eating and, and that you weren't like, you weren't eating tacos the way everyone else was. And I feel like I, you know, I haven't been to LA in a, I was there once, I think maybe in 2008, you know, but I know mm -hmm. that LA is such, such an amazing food city and, and, you know, reading Jonathan Gold and all that stuff, it really, it gives you a, a sense of what LA is like and how significant food is for LA. How do you think your city influences your kind of culinary you know, vision or your kind of culinary understanding? Hmm. If at all. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. I feel like there's a few ways in which, there's a few ways in which it will influence. And I mean, I can, I can speak on it from my point of view as of a writer, um, you know, being able to meet so many different food writers here. I mean, mm -hmm. just the last week I was talking to someone who is a, a food writer and she's working on a Hungarian cookbook. And her cookbook is very similar where highlighting a lot of the women in, in her life who are these, you know, cultural hubs, right? For, a lot, for the community here in LA. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, you see a place like this city, like Los Angeles, and you see people who come from the same place as you or similar places, and you see them not having to make compromises right. of who they are, it's a very, like, like, it's so, I remember the first time kind of seeing a Salvadoreña kind of being it, right? And mm -hmm. there weren't many out there, but I was just like, holy shit, this is really fucking badass. Like, I didn't know this was possible, you know? Because I, I think being an immigrant and growing up here, you, you really are trying to check all the boxes, right? So you can stay here, so you're not mm -hmm. separated from your family, so you can, you know, flourish the way you believe you can. And sometimes in that thought process you realize that there will be compromises or that you will have to stop being a certain way or that your Spanish will have to you know disappear or any of those kinds of things um but living in a place like LA and you start to see beautiful you know food concepts for restaurants that are that are led by the people that they are representing and they are beautiful. They're a breath of fresh air. And you just, it's its almost the spirit of like, it's very, um, there's a huge spirit of like pushing back and punk attitude. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feed off of that um, because, you know, the publishing world, when I pitched this to them, were very much like, you don't, you know, people won't know what this is. People won't know what to do with it. 
I had an agent who I was pitching to say to me, you know, the American public won't know what this is. And because I am in a place where, you know, there's, I have, thankfully I have a lot of examples of pushback, you know, mm-hmm. I can say like, I am the American public and mm-hmm. I really want this and plenty of other people want this. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm so grateful. It would be interesting to know what Salvi Soul would look like in a place that wasn't this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of presence of, right. of uh, thriving and not compromising. Right. And I mean, to speak to that too, you, you post your Instagram captions in a, in a mix of English and Spanish. And so I, I wanted to ask how you, how you came to your voice as a writer and if, if anyone was an influence on the way you approach uh, your voice. Well, the one piece of, I have one quote that I always lean on by James Baldwin and it's the responsibility of a writer is to excavate the experiences of people who produced him. Of course, I, I always say her who produced her. And I, that's kind of been a piece of advice that's been like a North Star for me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, this whole question of like figuring out what your voice is, it's, it's so vague and it's scary and you want to make sure at least I want to make sure that I'm speaking to the people who are looking for me right Mm -hmm. um and so I I do I do think about you know who are the people who produced me and produced these kinds of questions inside of me um I think about my grandmother and she was a phenomenal storyteller. And I think about how she never, ever had writer's block, right? And mm-hmm. she didn't necessarily type out stories or anything, but she did share lots of stories. And I think sometimes the fact that we're writing kind of gives us this, like, makes us neurotic people because mm-hmm. we're not just sharing it. We're, there's so much that comes with the actual, you know, action of writing. And she never had writer's box. She never doubted herself when she um, would share a story. You'd walk into the kitchen and she'd be like, fíjate, Carla, ¿qué esto pasó? (laughs) And she had the the feeling in your body. You know, it was just like, um, she knew how to capture her audience. And so, you know, I, I think of her whenever I start to get too much in my head Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of what I've learned is it's not a, about my feelings of me as a writer. It's just the story, this emotion, you know. Um, something I've been realizing a lot recently is that writing is really uh, catching feelings. You're trying to catch mm-hmm. as many as you can. Um, so, yeah, I think I've had, I mean, I've read a lot of people who have, you know, shaken something inside me and yeah, those are there. However, I I don't know that any of those folks I've read, like Jonathan Gold, any food people that you you read, um, 
have helped me become the writer um, that I want to be as much as the quote from James Baldwin and the attitude of my grandmother and how mm -hmm. she was a storyteller. Right. But yeah, I think there's been so many little pieces of guidance and wisdom that have found me. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but you that are. Is what <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, since that LA Times profile of you last year by Escarcega, you know, have you found an agent for the project of your cookbook? I have, and okay, good. I cannot believe it. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that, but it's just, I really didn't think I was going to find one. I mm -hmm. was pitching and sending out my proposal and, you know, people would say, this project sounds wonderful, Carla, but we've learned that compilation books really don't do well. Or Carla, this sounds great, but there's too many voices here because, you know, we're, I'm sharing stories of 25 different women plus myself. Um, and then of course, you know, getting comments about, well, what is Salvadoran food? People, you know, are not really interested in this. So yeah, I, I finally, you know, found my agent and I had a few, after having all these different experiences with these folks, I did have a few kind of uh, rules. Like I said, you know, I'm not going to work with anyone if they're making me feel like they're doing me a favor. No, I am mm -hmm. doing them the favor. There has not been a Salvadoran cookbook published in this country by a traditional publisher. They should be happy that I am giving them an audience because this will only help them in the trajectory of their business and I yeah I just I have had to kind of have this attitude because yeah it's just unbelievable the way some folks have treated me um mm -hmm. and it's ridiculous that it's taken this this long but my agent gets so many things she from the beginning you know just said like put me in like I'm ready to work I'm ready for this to be on bookshelves like what you know let's let's get let's get to work so right. yeah I am so close to finishing my proposal right now we had to kind of fine-tune a lot of it mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know all about the proposal <laughs> business here um it's been hard it's it's, it's hard very it's so Not, much work. Yeah. Before you, before you even get to the book, it's so much work. And then when you get to the book, it's so much more work. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I, the publishing industry is cruel. Yeah. So. <laughs> but that's so exciting. And, you know, have you've been working with traditional kind of food media? Have you found, a lot of pushback there have you found yourself you know feeling good working in food media yeah i mean i will say i think you know everything that's been happening in food media the last year since you know last summer with the whole ba uh episode um 
I think the environment is different mm-hmm. uh, than when I started in food media in um, getting in 2016, I believe is when I started. Um, yeah, I, I would send out pitches back then saying like, hey, I, I want to highlight this restaurant. They are innovating Saudi food and no one's really talking about this. And, you know, people were not interested or I, yeah, they, if they did, um, if I did hear back from them, they would say, oh, well, so-and-so already wrote about this. And I would say, well, that so-and-so is a Chicano writer who Mm -hmm. has no nuance, Mm -hmm. you know, can we at least consider a different angle perhaps, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's, it's different. I mean, I've had a few um, food opportunities, you know, knock on my door and say, we want to feature you. There's a few things coming down the pipelines. I, I can't say all the details, but I would have never imagine them knocking on my door and saying, hey, we would love if you could write a recipe and write an article and we want to feature you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it's a different world now for food writers like myself. Um, we can we can start to see some changes. Um, I do think that I'm also at a place where I have maybe a little bit of, um, I don't know, I, I, it's been all the rejection you get kind of Mm -hmm. get to you. So I'm also in a way a little, like, I don't care if they knock on my door now. Mm I care less, you know, like the, so some of the places who have featured me, you know, LA Times did feature me, um, but there have been some other ones who, you know, they say they're really prestigious and nothing happens, nothing mm-hmm. happens, except that they end up looking maybe a little bit more inclusive or diverse, mm-hmm. highlighted someone from a, a small country, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel a little bit like, I can't honestly take you seriously as a food media when you haven't bothered to cater to mm-hmm. you know this expanse uh f- food media cultures that you haven't really bothered to look into so I take myself seriously so I will work <laughs> with folks who have um demonstrated that they have been invested it's a very small group of people um so yeah, I, I kind of, it's interesting how that happens, right? When they finally start calling you, you're just like, I'm not interested in you. Yeah. I'm that I ever thought you were that important that I, you know, was, had angst about whether or not I'd ever be on your radar, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. And I mean, you mentioned having the, the lack of nuance when, you know, a Chicano writer writes about a Salvadoran restaurant and, you know, the U S media really has like an idea of Latinx culture that is very one note. And, you know, you can kind of interchange one Latina for another. Um, 
And you know, how have, how have you seen that get better maybe in, in the last couple of years, if you have, because it really is, it really is, you know, something I, you know, I feel it's watching, you know, coverage of Puerto Rico, obviously there's a huge Puerto Rican diaspora in the U S but like, you know, it's very interesting to see, you know, the diaspora perspective versus someone who lives here and that sort of thing. It's like, it's, it's very, it's all very, it's, it's considered the same thing though, from the U S perspective. I mean, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, you know, several things can be true at the same time. Right. Things have gotten better. Things have stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that if, oh, how do I say this? How do I express all the feelings? Um, I think that some if there has been an opportunity for me, um, mm-hmm. right, something, um, I think that there are, because of Twitter, you know, I'll be tagged in something that said, they should have hired Carla to write this. Um, she is one of the few Salvadoran food writers, but they decided to go with a Chicano. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of things are happening before those things didn't happen. So it's not mm-hmm. to say that are hiring me for the <laughs> that would be awesome right but they're acknowledging or the people are acknowledging and you know that's how we accomplish anything you piss mm-hmm. off enough people who have the platforms hopefully strong enough big enough that you start to see something change um that's what I'm seeing if I'm not the one kind of before if I wasn't really putting myself out there pitching kind of being in, you know, in front mm-hmm. of folks, um, I, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't going to come my way or it's not going to. Um, but I mean, we'll see. I think, I think this is, this is why, you know, I want to do this cookbook right and why I decided not to self-publish, but to pursue traditional publishing, because I do believe that having having that kind of it's almost like having that rite of passage for the community Mm -hmm. as a whole right will create an environment where hey we we are we doing our due diligence if we aren't asking salvadoran writers to write salvadoran content or you know as the bare minimum asking Central American folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there is a path that has been made. You know, it's not a path that is very populated, but there we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the best I can say as far as <laughs> like if I were to give a grade, you know, I would add in the comments like shows huge improvements. You know, <laughs> keep it up. Right. You're not there yet, honey, but <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with food media because, you know, historically they've taken too much right. from everyone. I don't know that they deserve my satisfaction. So I do think what I want is for the people the powers that be just to get out of the effing way, you know? Yeah, if you can't sure. support, 
if you can't give it the jobs, like get out of the way or, Mm -hmm. you know, stop, you know, stop sabotaging. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I digress. (laughs) No, but it's real. And, you know, I know in that LA Times piece, again, you were talking about how Instagram following is kind of considered super important for selling a cookbook, but, you know, I've seen lots of cookbooks be published by people with, you know, 2000 followers on Instagram and 2000 followers on Twitter. And I think it's something I've seen be told a lot to women of color who are Mm. trying to push, you know, a cuisine that, you know, has that the publishing forces that be don't think has a big audience, you know, but meanwhile, I have a, you know, Romanian cookbook. Like, I don't think anyone was, and it's great, of course, but like, you know, that's a sim- kind of a small country as well, but, you know, it has a cookbook and I don't want to say that that writer didn't put in a lot of work, but it's, you know, how many people in the U.S. have eaten Romanian food versus a pupusa, you know? Um, and so how, how do you see social media? Like, uh, to me, it's, you know, this kind of necessary kind of evil of, of promoting your work, but I don't, what is your kind of relationship with that like? Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> gosh, heavy hitters. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I love it. I love it. I'm totally here for it. I think my relationship with social media has had to evolve at the very beginning, at the onset of, you know, Salvi Soul bringing it into, you know, the social media scape. It was just a, a, such a nurturing place. All of the folks who had kind of been that person, you know, and had that experience like I had where I was like really excited to look for Salvi cookbooks and then came up on two and then the two were sold out, you know, we were all finding each other and it was just so beautiful. And it was, I kept having these feelings uh again and again of like oh you too like you you had this thing oh my gosh like so it was a really beautiful thing and you know knowing that the numbers kept going up and you know I had I remember when I just had like a few hundred followers and I thought oh my gosh I have 400 people who who like are with me on this who think that this should be a thing like oh my gosh this is so cool and then when I had made the decision to not self-publish, but to pursue, you know, this journey of traditional publishing, um, I met a great agent and she said, you know, this is an incredible project. There is an audience for this. We definitely can find you a publisher who will do right by you. However, you need more followers. And I think at this point in time, I maybe had like 4,000. And she said, I need you to have at least, at least 10. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, like that's, <laughs> that's a lot. Like, and, and for me at the time, I think I also interpreted as like, I can't connect with that many people. Cause it was just like connecting, connecting, connecting yeah. with there, it was just like I was finding family and you know you do the the catch of like oh you come with stars like how you been you know it was just like I wanted and it was just organic too it wasn't 
you know, uh, a strategy of like how to gain a bigger following. It was just like, I want to know where the rest of the diaspora is. How to, you know, because people from Canada, from Abu Dhabi, from Tokyo, Saudis all over the world were like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for something like this and I'm so happy I found you, you know? So Mm -hmm. then hearing, you know, we need 10,000, I was like, there's, there's no way I can get these by myself. Like I need to find people to promote my work. I need to get in front of more people. It's just like this compounded stress of, you know, I need to find, I need to keep like having these emotional connections with people that I don't think I have capacity for, you know? Mm, yeah. That had been the way that the community grew. And it, a lot of this too, like I have to be very um, careful because I see this happen a lot where you have projects or books that are about, you know, tough things that we've had to survive and you're kind of it becomes like a gimmick right like you Mm -hmm. show all your pain and suffering and then they say oh yeah that's enough for us to humanize you we feel something now so we're gonna care now you know yeah and I just I almost felt like when this person said I need you to have 10,000 I felt like they wanted me to do that Mm -hmm. because that's like the fastest way you can get attention or make a, a, a meaningful connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those were a lot of things to process. You know, I no one's in my family has has ever been published. Um, there's never been a freelancer in my family. Mm-hmm. I became one so that I could be available to this. Um, and so I just, I just oh. Oh gosh, I was Frankensteining income with whatever came my way. And now it just felt like a, this huge task of go find another 5,000 plus people that you need to connect with and that they need to find value in the work you do when you have receipts to show that the general public has cared less about the Salvadoran community, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah it was it was it was fucked up you know Mm -hmm. I I was like I don't know how to I didn't know how to deal but I just kept doing what I was doing I kept you know posting um post posting not really with a strategy in mind but just hey this is what I'm learning I'm sharing it with you all because this is what the page is um, and then eventually, you know, a few folks with who are also Salvis and had larger, much larger followings who were, you know, Salvis in fashion, Salvis in makeup, sharing, oh my gosh, there's a food account and she's doing cooking classes you guys have to follow. Um, and then, you know, we eventually got to 10,000, especially after the LA Times piece that helped a mm-hmm. lot. And you know, I went back to that agent and I said, hey, guess what? I have the 10,000, you know, this is mm-hmm. it's amazing. And then unfortunately, you know, they ghosted me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, was, was she really serious or was she maybe like just giving me 
right. a number that felt difficult and she maybe thought it'll take her a really long time or you know or maybe yeah. she really was you know it was last year that I got back to her so 2020 you know having that <laughs> bit of patience with folks because you know we were all we we're all still going through it yeah um, so yeah I think social media you know it's hard because that was the same year that American Dirt came out right mm-hmm. and you know we were all talking about how does someone with 3,000 followers three books I think she had already mm-hmm. published three books get a six-figure book deal and she only has like less than 5,000 followers on yeah any account you know mm-hmm. how does that happen how so we know how yeah um, so yeah I think that I as far as you know my strategy now with social media I'm I'm wanting to still connect with people I'm I'm choosing to create from a place that is of service to Salvi folks mm-hmm. um creating beautiful things creating informative things and also you know my my, my the end of last year was really hard because I had family who was hospitalized due to COVID and thankfully they're they're fine now thank goodness but you know I everything was just really difficult and I mm-hmm. didn't post for like three months which wow. I think is yeah exactly it's like criminal when you think about <laughs> and you know everything you have to do I stopped doing my cooking classes that I was doing weekly I stopped posting I I could not I just didn't I didn't have it in me I mm-hmm. didn't have it in me. so I um yeah I I've had time to rest I'm also you know I've, I've I'm also I, I have help now too I have someone who helps me with social media um so yeah I think it's 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 always a a, a habit of resetting what social media is there to do for you mm-hmm. um and publishers I'm sure will want me to have hundreds of thousands but if that's not what I have then that's not what I have mm-hmm. and I'm not to buy followers I'm not going to do anything that doesn't feel honest and you know that's that's just what they have to deal with because I, I have to deal with a lot more than just worried worrying about how many followers I have so yeah (laughs) well for you is cooking a political act I think so yes I uh, is confident yes it doesn't always um Mm -hmm. have to be I think cooking the intention behind it um can be very much like you know eating but sometimes we eat for health sometimes we eat for enjoyment Sometimes we eat because otherwise we're going to die. You know, <laughs> being, being um, uh, a diabetic, you know, my relationship to food is almost feels like it's on this whole other level because there have been moments where, yeah, I'm not sure how familiar you are with diabetes, but you can, I have type one. So my pancreas, which produces the insulin that helps me break down all of that 
the carbohydrates that become sugar that become energy Mm -hmm. um my body doesn't make any so I have to give myself you know between five to six injections a day of insulin and you know everything I eat is a very conscious choice um Mm -hmm. and so naturally anytime I cook is also very conscious and you know when you add that layer of cooking Salvadoran food when there are so many policies that has meant to harm my community cooking is definitely a very political act to say that I'm going to learn and practice these ways in this country and that I'm going to teach others to thrive at it as well I think is the most radical thing I can do for my community and for us to feel strong you know Mm -hmm. so absolutely I think it's a political act well thank you so much for taking the time again oh my gosh thank you so much this has been wonderful